Kevin, Kevin Cottrell shared with me a moment ago that we, somewhere around 14 people have been baptized here this morning, and I know a number were to be baptized in Kuwait at CVC. What a great, great picture of God's faithfulness. This morning, before we observe the Lord's Supper, I want to just share a thought or two with you. And, you, you know, sometimes we fail to realize that because we're going through difficulty in our country, that that's been the nature of the history of the world. For so long, America had a bubble over her because we were young as a nation, so we didn't have many of the traditions that other nations had of violence and hostility. The people that came here were so glad to be away from what they left, they sure didn't want to stir up trouble here, but we've aged. We're almost 240 now as a nation, and our morality has certainly shifted. Faith in God is no longer important. A younger generation, sadly, you all are the anomaly, and how grateful we are you are, because you said Jesus is important, but many in a young generation have turned away from Christ because their parents have turned away from Christ. We live in a time of many tensions and strife and unrest, and you know all that. The difference is that it's finally come home to America. We've seen other nations suffer many years, and we'd see that and say, goodness, that must be hard to live in constant tension, and today we're, we're there. We see civil war in the streets in other nations, and we think, how sad is that? And yet, the racial strife in our own country, and people against law enforcement, and folks standing against all kinds of causes, there's yelling and shouting and hostility and violence. And I've had people over the years that I've been a pastor say to me, well, I, I think it would have been exciting to be in the first century with Jesus. Well... It had been fun to be with Jesus, but I'm not sure it had been fun to be in the first century. First century Rome was as corrupt as we are. In fact, we could have taught Rome a little bit about immorality. They may not have been in all areas as diversified in our immorality, in immorality as we are because we have social media and so much more we can do with visually than they could do that I dare say they'd say, goodness, you all have it taken down to a science. We just had it in the cities. The truth is, we have people say, well, I, I wonder what it was like to live in the first century. It was a time of religious tensions. The city of Rome and certainly the city of Jerusalem, which was a religious city, there was always unrest. One group going against another group. And the only time the Sadducees, Pharisees, and scribes all came together was to crucify Christ. The rest of the time, they hated each other. And they didn't get along with each other. And that's why they had an Antonia fortress in the city filled with Roman soldiers so that if an outbreak of tensions happened on the Temple Mount, they were right there. And so today we live with racial tension. There's a group called Islam that says we're going to rule the world. And we're decided we want to give them billions of dollars to help them do that. It's an amazing time in which we live with the treaties we're making. We live in a world where there's tremendous tensions with North Korea and tremendous tensions with Russia and tremendous tensions in the African continent, tribe against tribe. And so we see an unrest globally, and it's really just like it was in the first century. In the first century, they endured tr crushing taxation. In fact, it got to the point they felt like, I have nothing, because every time I get something, the government snatches it away. And today I hear so many people say, it just seems like we get a new tax every time we turn around, and I've got less and less spendable income because I'm spending more and more supporting the government. We hear a lot today about income inequality, and there's always been income inequality. In every generation, there have been the very, very wealthy. And America, for years, had a pretty strong middle class. And then we had the poor. Certainly in Rome, there was inequality because you had the very elite Romans. And you had the poor Romans. And you had slaves and internationals. And so they knew what it was in the first century to deal with income inequality. 
We hear a lot about trafficking, and in Oklahoma, we sadly are one of the great crossroads of human trafficking in America because of Interstate 35 and Interstate 40 and Interstate 44. We are a junction for traffic going east and west and north and south, and many times people come through here trafficking women and boys and girls for sex, but many times tra trafficking internationals and aliens for labor reasons, and so many people today are in slavery and it's back to the future of the first century, isn't it? I say all that to say sometimes we forget that in the midst of the first century when Jesus was teaching, it was not a pristine world where everybody was just standing gaga waiting for him to come forward. They, they were pressed on many sides. And one reason they went to hear him is his message was so fresh and his power so genuine. They longed for something that was giving them hope. That's why some of you come Sunday after Sunday to church you say, Pastor, all week long I get beat up. Some of you are here and you're sitting by your mate, but there's not a great warmth. You say, I don't know if we'll make it to next week, preacher. And some of you in the room, sadly, are probably in that category. Some of you in the room say, I don't know if I'll have a job by next Sunday because your company is struggling and you're afraid you're going to go under. And, and I understand that. And because of that, there are people that come in this place and, and they say, I just wish I had, I just wish I could be, have a fresh touch from the hand of Jesus. Well, do you understand that's what happened the night of the Lord's Supper? You see, in a minute, we're going to come to this table and observe the Lord's Supper. And I've told you before, and I got to remind it in case you're new to our church or a guest, I can only invite you to church. When we uncover these elements and the deacons begin to pass the cup and the bread, don't you dare, do not dare eat this bread and drink this cup if you are not a genuinely converted child of God, having followed him in the first step of obedience, which is baptism, not in order to be saved, but to tell the world I am saved. Why? If you take of this bread and say, it's just a wafer, I'll eat it if I want to. The Bible says you didn't just take a blessing. You just ate condemnation to your soul because God's watching. He says, you would treat the body of my son with such horrendous contempt that you would dare eat that body, that wafer representing the body of my son without any sense of the holiness. You hadn't taken a blessing. You stood right face to face with God and said, do what you want to. And he said, I, I condemn you. If you drink of this cup, and you're not really a converted child of God. You're not drinking saying, well, maybe God will bless me if I just take the Lord's Supper. No. He says, if you don't recognize the blood of that, the symbolism of that cup being the blood shed for the sins that you've done, and you treat the blood of my son with contempt, do not expect my blessing, but my wrath. I would not dare invite you to eat this bread and drink this cup. I can invite you to church. But once these take the cloth off and deacons begin to serve you, eat at your own discretion before God Almighty. Now when we come in this place, like the first century, there's great tension. Passover was happening and that was a time when all the military was on high alert. All those Jewish people coming together and all the tensions of families and all the tension against the government, there was a real possibility every Passover for an uprising. And this year more than ever because it was rumored that Rabbi was coming. That one that had, for three years had done so much in the country. He's coming this year and we don't know what may happen with his followers. And so the military was on high alert. And on that night when those disciples gathered in that upper room, 
It was a time of like an oasis in the desert around them to come together with their family of believers. That's why you're here. I don't have to tell you, you go to school and you go to work and you're out in the community with sports people who use Jesus' name in blasphemy and never even consider it. You hear him sworn about, cursed about, churches laughed at, the Bible mocked, you hear it in humor, you watch it on movies, you watch it on television, and you hear it in your neighborhood and you want to come home most days and just take a shower before you sit down to have dinner from all your ears have heard of the blasphemous use of the name of Jesus. That's why we long to come to church. His name is held high here in deep respect and reverence for he is the son of God and we do not treat him with contempt. We do not blaspheme his name by treating it lightly. We bow before the Lord Jesus Christ here. And when we come here, it's an oasis. If you've ever traveled at all in the desert, you know even on a bus how hot that sun is coming through the window. Or if you're on a train and you felt the heat coming through the window, or an automobile and the heat coming through, you feel like a piece of meat under a Pyrex dish glass. It's just so hot. And you long, is there not a, is there not a stop up here somewhere where we get off and get something cool to drink? And the answer is yes. But imagine if you were on foot and you were trying to make a journey across the desert and you suddenly saw an oasis and now there's shade trees and you can come out from the intensity of the sun under a shade tree. And here's a marvelous pool, spring-fed water that's so cool from the earth out in the middle with all this barrenness. Here's a place of life and greenery and there's, there's animal life and there, there's refreshment. And you say, oh, thank you for this quiet place. Some of you worked hard all week just waiting to get to here because you say, Brother Nick, you have no idea what I've been through this week. Truth is, you have no idea what I've been through this week. I didn't just come because it's practice. I didn't just come because my name's on the sign. I came because I sure do need to meet Jesus. You know what this is? An oasis in the midst of the desert. You know what's offered here? Living water given by Jesus Christ. Have you ever been to a desert and had that fresh fruit off those trees that grow up in the springs of the desert? Dates and figs and bananas. Oh, they are so sweet. In the contrast to the great heat, those that are fed by the springs of cool, fresh water coming up from the earth. The sweetest in the world. When I come in here, there's a sweetness. A sweetness in fellowship and a sweetness in the singing and a sweetness in the attitudes. I, I love this oasis in the desert. Out there is a pagan world that hates Jesus and the heat of violence and persecution is real. In here, the love of the Lord abounds. Secondly, I think that night when the disciples gathered with Jesus, it was a place of peace in the midst of the storm. Oh, the crowds were wild. They hated Rome. There were those who would kill a Roman soldier, not flinch the way people would kill a police officer today and never flinch. The, the evil was rampant and the hatred, the hatred against those who were always putting us under their heel. There's just that sense of the, of the masses who say, I'm so tired of people walking on me and my government maltreating me and taxation draining me and, and hatred uh, uh, polarizing me. I just, I just want to find peace. Isn't that what we're looking for? Isn't that what everybody looks for when they come to Jesus? I'm tired of fighting. You know what peace means. When nations have been fighting, they sign a peace treaty. It means one side says, I'm not fighting against you anymore. You know what some of you need today? You need to come to Jesus and say, I'm not fighting you anymore. I surrender.
No more resistance. No more hostility toward God. No, no, no more rejection of your grace. No more in this place. I want to find peace in the midst of the storm in my life. My marriage is stormy. My children are, 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 are rebellious. My, my job is decadent and people are hollering at each other. My boss is not pleased with me. I think he's going to fire me. My, my daddy's sick. My mama needs health care. I, I, just, I just stretch beyond measure. I, I need peace. That's, that's, why we're, that's why we're here. And that's why those disciples came. You know what the Bible says the night Jesus walked with them to Gethsemane? He said to them, my soul is sorrowful unto death. And all your pictures of Jesus in your mind, do you ever picture him with his head down, his shoulders stooped, sorrowful? No. We picture him as conquering king, lord of life, authority of all. We picture him as the overcomer. We, we picture him as the provider and sustainer and savior, resurrected redeemer. The disciples saw him that night. His shoulders were stooped because the weight of the world's sin was on them. And now the hour that he had known from the day they created, God Almighty created Adam. He said, the day will come when I'll have to bear every sin Adam commits and all after him. I'll have to take all of that on me. And the Bible says he was sorrowful unto death. He needed a place of peace. So you know what he did? On the night before the cross, he got his disciples in a room. He said, I long to have this Passover meal with you. In John 14, he said these words, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives peace. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Anybody heard any news this week that makes you a little bit afraid? Oh my, which night? Anybody here heard some news this week that causes your heart to be troubled? Which report do you want to hear? And what Jesus said, don't, don't let your heart be troubled. You have no reason to be afraid. Why? You and I serve the one who's the Lord of all. Brother Kevin is so good to lead us in choruses of marvelous harmony and songs about Jesus. The one we sing often here. There's a sweet anointing in this sanctuary. There's a stillness in the atmosphere. Come lay down the burdens that you've carried. For in this sanctuary, God is here. He's here. He is here to break the yoke and lift the heavy burden. He's here. He is here to heal the hopeless heart and bless the broken. Come lay down all the burdens that you carry. For in this sanctuary, God is here. When I come this morning, I want a place that's an oasis. I want fresh water to cool from the long journey through the desert. I want a place of peace in the midst of all the storms and chaos that's modern 21st century living. But I'll tell you what I really want. I want a moment with my master. Now, now please, if you misunderstand me here, it's your fault because I'm going to do everything I can to make clear what I mean. I love being a pastor. In fact, the one frustration that I have, and it's because it's a blessing, but it's my personal frustration, is I like people and I like to get to know people, but I just can't know all of you. There are too many hundreds of you and one of me. So, so after the service and tonight after the service, I'll have a chance to speak to a handful and you'll share with me something exciting or something as a bur prayer burden or, or just bring up a guest and we'll meet. But, but our at times of fellowship are, are, are brief. 
And I want you to hear me. I love those. I, I don't have them short because I wouldn't like more. It's just your time and mine are both precious and we just don't have that much time. And so when you come and speak to me, I'm thrilled and I have a chance to speak to you. I'm thrilled. But, but hear me. Please don't misunderstand this. I love you. But if all I did today is shake a few hands and hug a few necks and go home, I would be, I would be terribly miserable. You know why? I didn't come to spend time with you. So I'd just join a civic club and shake hands. How you doing, man? Good to see you. Hope you're having a good week. Business going good? I mean, that's what you do when you just want a superficial relationship, right? And, and so when you do that, what you have is nothing of any substance. You just have form. I didn't come today to see you. I came today to have a moment with my master. I've watched you when you go on these marvelous trips. You know when we have these special moments in life, we want everybody to know where we are and what we're doing, and we'll take a selfie and say, look at me. You know what really making our friends sin? You know why? Well, I wish I was there. That's coveting, right? I wish I was there. That's envying. And you did it. You, you made us sin by sending this picture of the Grand Canyon or some beautiful lake or ski opportunity, and here you are in a selfie in this beautiful, spectacular place, and then you, you tell a story. You say, I was thinking of you. No, you're not. That's why you're there. You don't want us with you or you'd invited us. You're not thinking of us. You're just sending that to all your friends to say, don't you wish you was closer to me? You'd be here with me. Yeah, that's what you're saying, isn't it? Altars open. Yes, that's what we say. But you know the truth? Sometimes we go to those places. Some of you have been to New York or Los Angeles, Chicago, Miami, some of those big, big cities where uh, where entertainers are, musicians are, politicians go, and, and you'll say, I saw so-and-so in the airport, and you'll, ta you'll take a selfie with you, and them in the background as if y'all are just best buds. I was with so-and-so, and, -so, and you'll send that out. Guess who I saw? Don't you? Why, why are y'all looking so pious this morning? You do that. You know what I think would be great today when you left church? Wouldn't it be great if you went home after church and said, guess who I saw today? I saw the Lord. Well, I saw my friends and I got to see some of my neighbors I hadn't seen in a while, but today I saw the Lord. I was at an all-in Sunday at First Baptist Church and I saw the Lord. We were sitting at the Lord's table for the Lord's Supper and I saw the Lord. I was seated in church in my regular seat, but today I saw the Lord. I was sitting with my family and friends that I dearly love. And you know today... I saw the Lord with my heart open to Jesus, waiting and hoping to hear from Him. I saw the Lord. Having confessed my sins, I saw the Lord quietly, still in His presence. I saw the Lord. Wouldn't it be great if when you left today, you could say to somebody you know, guess who I saw at First Baptist today? I saw the Lord. I saw Jesus Christ.